I'm going to have you stand for the reading of the Word of God. Today's title is True Worship from Nehemiah chapter 8. When I was in the hospital, I had surgery back in November. Uh, first day, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't read. My eyes were, I don't know, that anesthesia really messes you up. But the second day, uh, I was sitting and I was meditating on Nehemiah chapter 8. I go through the Bible, and just as I preach through it, I go through it in my my morning time with God and true worship. And you get a picture. It's an Old Testament picture that really carries through the New Testament of, of how to worship God. And um, maybe you'll get an explanation here, if you haven't been here long, why we do what we do. You know, what the heck are you doing here this morning? Because if you're not here for the right reason, I'll tell you, there are a whole lot of things you could be doing that are better than this. If you're not here for the right reason. I guess you didn't expect a pastor to say that to you, right, coming to church. So Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm going to read the first three verses to you. We're going to go through the entire chapter. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and the women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read it uh, from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate that from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who can understand and the ears of all the people were tentative to the book of the law. Heavenly Father, Lord, the word that would go out today, Lord God, may it truly enrich our lives. May it Lord God, it may change us and transform us into, Lord, when we come into this place on a, Lord, on a, on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night to worship you, Lord God, may we just we come, Lord God, with, with the right mindset, with our hearts in the right place, Lord God, prepared to meet you, Lord God, and worship you and experience you, Lord God, and receive from you whatever it is, Lord, maybe it's joy or it's peace or it's forgiveness, it's healing, Lord, because you're always there to give to us and to meet our greatest needs. So, Lord God, we lift this up to you and we pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the book of Nehemiah. How many of you are familiar with the book of, the, of Nehemiah? How many of you have never read the book of Nehemiah? And um, I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but <laughs> Nehemiah built the wall around Jerusalem after it was destroyed. It was destroyed in 586 by... Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and then they destroyed the temple. So Nehemiah was in Babylon, and he courageously went to the king of Babylon, Artaxerxes, and he said to him, I have a burden on my heart because Israel does not have, uh, Jerusalem does not have a wall around it. And he gave him permission to go, and he built the wall around Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah is the book on building, Philippians is the book of joy. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Revelation is the book of endings. If you want joy, okay, I encourage you to go to the book of Philippians. If you need to learn how to build, <laughs> and you should be in the process of building, I hope you are, building your career, building your business, right, building your wealth, 
building your relationship with God, building your marriage, building your family. This is a great book to go to to instruct you on how to build, to be a successful builder. Because you want to just continuously be building. You want your life to be getting better and better, (laughs) not worse and worse. So it's the book of building. Now, I'm just going to take you back for a minute to the book of Ezra because Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. And Ezra is the worship leader in Nehemiah chapter 8. So we're really not going to talk about Nehemiah, though he, um, he wrote the book. But in Ezra chapter 7, verse 8 through 11... It says, And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. And on the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Now watch this. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart. This is this this very anointed preacher-teacher, okay, in the day... He had prepared his heart. And I think it's a good lesson for us there. Is your heart prepared this morning? I notice in life, you pretty much get out of things what you have prepared yourself to get. You ever see people, they, don't, they always come unprepared, they come late, they come unprepared. They usually don't get a whole lot out of, 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 of anything. So he came prepared, he prepared his heart. And then to seek the law of the Lord, to seek the Word of God. I hope that you've come to seek the Word of God today. Because God, if you've come to seek, I believe God will give to you a very special Word uh, for your life. Transforming Word. A Word of blessing. And then to do it. Not just to, to, to get it, but to put it into practice. To do it. And then to teach the statutes and the ordinance in Israel. So he, he came prepared, he came to seek, he came to do, and he came to teach, to receive and to give it away. And I'll just say, if you are a teacher, and we have some wonderful young teachers, preachers, pastors being raised up right now at Living Word, a number of them, and they've been coming up, and some of them have been preaching here and blessing the congregation on Wednesday night. By the way, if you're a teacher here, Faith, uh, some of the ladies who teach, uh, the women, and teach Sunday school, and if you're going to be effective, you've got to prepare your heart. You've got to seek. right? You really, you really seek the law of the Lord. You've got to be willing to put it into practice. right? Jesus said, it's not he who hears, but puts it into practice, who builds their house upon the rock. And then what God gives to you, you share. And by the way, that should be true of all of us. Want to learn the Word of God? Well, put into practice what you've learned and then share it with other people. And then it says, this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe. And notice it says, expert in the words and the commandments of the Lord. He was an expert. And his statutes, uh, of the statutes of of, um, Israel. So, that's Ezra. That's That's the worship leader. He's the worship leader. Okay, we're getting a lot of... um, like in the twilight zone here today. Okay. We're going to get, we're getting somebody in here to correct that, right? We're working on that? Okay. 
All right, let's look at this. Here's your key, here's your key points. First point, reading, right? It, it just simply, the people gathered together, right, as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. They were hungry for the word. Notice they're telling Ezra to bring the word. They're hungry for the word of God. I preached, I'm not preached maybe in a hundred or so churches, and I have preached in churches where the people, let me tell you something, they were like ravenous dogs salivating for the word of God. And I've preached in other churches where I'll tell you something, they were so self-satisfied. I mean, it was like, it was Laodicea, the last church. I'm fine. I don't need anything, right? They're totally self-satisfied, and there's no hunger for the Word of God. So these people were, I mean, they were hungry for the Word of God. And they said to Ezra, read it to us. Now, you have a key foundational principle of what we do here at Living Word. And again, you see it here in Nehemiah 8, and you see it in the book of Acts. They read the Word. They shared the Word, right? They quoted from the Word, and they studied the Word. But the reading of the Word was central to the early church. The Word is central. If you've come here today, okay, looking for ritual... Uh, you're not going to get it. If you came here today looking for entertainment, for a show, you're not going to get it, okay? Sorry, there you go down the street. Uh, but if you came here today for the Word of God, we are living, what's the name of our church? Living Word, right? Living Word, right? Community church. Why are we Word-centered? Let me give you a couple of key things here. One is the Word of God is necessary for training and building up the body of Christ. I used to be a bodybuilder. And then God called me to build the body of Christ. And the Word of God, right, it builds us up. When we, when we hear it, when we receive it, when we take it into our lives, it builds us up. Look at, look at 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It, it trains us. And as we train, how many of you train? You train your bodies, right? You train, right? You, you train in the martial arts. And as you train, you get stronger, right? You get better. You become more athletic. You become more physically, right? Neurologically efficient. Well, that's what the Word of God does to us spiritually. It trains us. Second thing. It's power for living. Right? Power for living. Let me ask you this. How many of you have a cell phone today with you? And what happens to your cell phone when you don't plug it in? It dies. Right? Right? When you don't plug your cell phone in, it dies. Guess what happens when you don't plug yourself into the Word? You die. You die. You see, a, a, a dead church person, I'll show you a person who is not plugging into the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God is an energy source. 
It, it, should, it should be energizing our, our lives, energizing our, our bodies, our spirits, our, our minds, our hearts. I get up in the morning like most of you. How do you get up in the morning? A little groggy, right? Even last night, I had a great night's sleep, slept eight hours, sound. But you get up in the morning and right, you're a little groggy. I've got to get some light going and starts to set off the neurotransmitters. And I get into the Word. And I pray. And I want to tell you something. I just get energized. The energy just flows. And then I hit the gym. I go train for an hour or two. And I'll tell you, the, the energy comes from the Word of God. <laughs> but you got to plug in. Another key thing that the Word gives us, it gives us spiritual endurance. Have you noticed that this life is a race? Have you ever run a race? Anybody here ever run a marathon? No. <laughs> marathon. Half. Half marathon. Let's see half. Half marathon. Anybody ever run a, a 10K? 10Ks? 10Ks. Two. Two. We got another one. We got three. How about a 5K? 5K. 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 Any of you ever just... Uh, uh, listen, any of you... Have, have you ever walked around the block? <laughs> you need endurance to run a race. And you need endurance to run this race that the Lord has called us to. Look at Romans 15, 14. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance... You ever see people quitting... I say, people, what happened to what happened to Joe? What you know? What happened to this one? What happened to this one? Right? They they quit. They didn't have endurance to continue to to run the race. That through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, endurance comes from the scriptures. We might have hope. Beautiful thing. The Spirit comes to us through the Word, and the Spirit comes to us. And you know what He does? He encourages us. He is the paraclete. He is the comforter. Right? He's, he's like a coach who comes to us through the Word of God and he essentially he infuses us with this thing called courage to keep going on, keep going on, keep, keep running the race. Another key thing that, that the Scripture does, it, 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 it's a light. In the, in the Word of God, it tells us, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is light a metaphor for? Truth. Truth. Have you noticed we live in a world of tremendous deception? Man. And, and I think deception was always there because Satan is the, the ruler of the world. I hope you, you, you get that. He is, the, he is the prince and power of the air waves. <laughs> waves. Right? Satan is he's, he's, he's there. He's in the media. He's in the, the, the political realm. He's in the educational realm. He's even in the church. And you have deception. And, and you know, what, you know what, what the Word of God gives you? It gives you and it, it, it triggers this organ. When you're really in the Word of God, I, I call it a BCD. Have you ever heard of your BCD organ? It's your bullcrap detector. I didn't use the other word. 
but it, it triggers off the bullcrap. You can detect bullcrap. Every man's a liar, but God is true. Hey, let's just look. Look, our president this week, he stood up in front and, you know, he was bragging about how great the economy is. He was bragging about how great the economy is. Hey, inflation, right, they tell us is only at 7.8%. But, but, let me tell you something. They say it's, it's, it's the highest it's been in 40 years. But 40 years ago, when they were basically evaluating inflation, there were six other things, six other criteria that they added to it. So actually, if you bring those six in, inflation's at 15.8%, not at 7.8%. But everything's great. <laughs> and do you know that your wages were up 4.8% over last year? But, but do you know, you know that, that with inflation at 15.8%, you're still down 10%. <laughs> They just lie to you. Lie. Politicians just, just lies, 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 lies. The media just lies, lies, lies. And, and let me just, people, people really are. America, listen, man, you got what you voted for. You got what you voted for. So when you go to the gas pump and you're paying $2 more than you were, oh, it's Putin's fault. Oh, come on. <laughs> If you understand, if you understand inflation, inflation, he, when he cut the oil lines and oil production, that's what triggered inflation. That's what, not only you're paying more for gas, but you're paying more for food. But they just keep dishing this out. And by the way, again, that deception, you see, it's, it's, it's in the political realm. And dumb, 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 dumb. There's, there's a lot of really dumb, 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 dumb. Dum 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 people. Dum 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 dummies. They're dummies. They're in the church. They're in the world. And they just sit there and buy this stuff. And Satan's up there and he's just orchestrating this whole thing, creating his new world order, folks. Everything is moving. This whole greenie movement is moving towards the new world order. They don't, uh, they don't show those people talking about that on your general media, but they're out there. Soros, Prince Charlie, all these powerful people with their, their they, got, they got their strings on the politicians just manipulating everything, moving it towards, preparing for who? The Antichrist. And most people in the church, they don't have a clue. People in the world they don't have a clue. But that's what, see, that's what the word does. The word, the word is a light. It is a lens that we look and we evaluate the world through. Because there's real danger in deception. The word of God enlarges our faith. The word says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. You want to have your faith... Enlarge, you want to have a greater faith, a stronger faith, a firmer faith, be in the Word. The Word of God produces holiness. Ain't walking quite right with God, committing sins that you shouldn't be committing, get in the Word of God. Look what it says in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
But you've got to get it into your heart. That's where it becomes habitual. That's where it becomes something that you practice daily. The Word of God is, is, is a sword. In fact, it's, it's the only offensive sword in the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 6, 17, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What did Jesus use when the devil came and tempted him? He used the sword. Turn these stones into bread. What did he say? Man shall not live, right? right? He, 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 he will not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And he took out, he took out the sword, and he dueled Satan with it. It is, it is our, our only offensive weapon against lies, against deception, against temptations. The word of God is a treasure. Look at um, Psalm 119, verse 162. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. Hey, honestly, if you were on a desert island, what is the one book, right, that you would want to have? Right, right, Sam, good. You learned the lesson, right? You would want to have boat building by Daniel Quiver so you could get off the island. You know how I got that? From the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. <laughs> Look, the Word of God, I, you, you could sit here and I've preached messages where you could just go on for hours with all the benefits of the Word of God. My, my, point, my point is, it, it is this wonderful blessing that God has given us. It's, it's a power source. It's a, you know, a, a deception detector. I mean, it's, it's just, there's so much there. And again, you just see here, 1 Peter 2.2, and it's a picture of these believers with Ezra in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So you know why people don't hunger for the word of God? Because they've never tasted that the Lord is gracious. They're not saved. Man, when I wasn't saved, I care less about the Word of God. I didn't want to read the Word of God. You couldn't, you, couldn't get me, you couldn't get me in a church. But when I tasted of the grace of Jesus, you couldn't keep me away from the Word of God. So these people are just, they're just, they're just hungry for the Word of God. They crave it. They crave it. Teach us. Read it to us. Read it to us. You can imagine, probably they were hearing, you know, they're hearing all the garbage around them. They're, you know, they're probably hearing all the negativity around them. They haven't heard the Word of God. The Word of God was not read to them. And so when they, when, hey, he's, he's got the Word of God. Read it to us. Kind of like today. You take the Word of God out of the picture. What are you listening to? Look at the stuff that they're telling you out there, man. Gee, most of it's just kind of morbid and depressing. Look at the, they're saying now there's so much depression amongst people. There's so much depression amongst, you know, teenagers and little kids now. And the suicide rate has gone up. And the use of drugs has increased. And the use of alcohol has increased. You say, well, it's because of COVID. I think it's because of a lot of other things, folks. It's a culture who has just, they, they abandoned God. The church attendance is way down. And uh, these people are just, they're, they're, they're in a place where they are just morbid. All right, number two. 
hearing with understanding. So verses 2 and 3, it says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and the women and all who could hear with understanding, the ones who could hear with understanding, on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midnight before the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of law. Now, again, this is for those who would hear, but they would understand, right? Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, and he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. So, so essentially, right, we hear through our ears, and, and we hear with our minds, but when it comes to understanding, really grasping us, and this is true of Scripture, this is true of all things. To really learn something, you need to receive it with your heart. It needs to get down. You know what the heart, the heart, the subconscious mind, that's the part of us where it becomes something that, that we really experience and that becomes something that we habitually practice. It's where your beliefs are. Your value. The real you is not the facade that you put on in front of people. The real you is the person deep down in your heart. That's why God looks at your heart. So it needs to go down. That's when I, I, do a lot of, I do a lot of coaching, success coaching with people during the week. Um, most of them are, are CEOs, presidents of companies, and um, entrepreneurs. And we do a lot of programming for success. A lot of stuff I teach them is something that they will teach to their teams. But you have to be programmed for success. You know, there's a lot of people, how many of you, you wish your life could be better? I wish my life could be better. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to have a better life. But you have to program success principles into your life to really begin to experience and, and live out success. It has to get into your heart. Or it's, it's nothing more than a pipe dream. That's why people go through an entire lifetime wishing their life could be... I wish I could be healthier. I wish I could be happier. I wish I could be more successful. I, I wish I could be wealthier. And they never, it never happens. Because it, it needs to get down into your heart and become a part of you. And here's the secret in, in the Christian life. I want to give you a little secret. Lean in. I haven't given you a secret in a while. Here's a secret. Right? The secret is, it's the Holy Spirit who helps us. Right? He takes it from our ears and our mind, and he brings it down to our heart. If you're really going to understand, not just hear the Word of God, you have to be relying on the Spirit. You have to be led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit. You have to be yielding to the Spirit, even right now. Or you're going to walk out of here, you get nothing out of this. <laughs> nothing! Just a waste of the morning. But if you're, if you're in tune with the Spirit, then He's going to take it and He's going to bring it. He's going to bring it down to your heart. But the, the person without the Spirit, they get nothing. Right? What does it say in, in 1 Corinthians 2.14? But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man, the man, this is the unsaved person. 
for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned, uh, discerned him, but um, we have the mind of Christ. But the, the, the man without the spirit, this is nonsense. By the way, when I, look, I, I didn't get born again until I was 23 years old. And I had a good friend of mine, Jerry Palmieri, he was a Christian at 17, who was witnessing to me all the time. And then there were guys, there were, there were a number of different men that God brought in my life sharing the gospel with me. And let me tell you something, man, I didn't care. I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't unpolite to them. In fact, some of them would have beat me up if I was impolite. They were really tough guys. The guy, Jerry, who led me to Christ, the Golden Glove champion. And so I was very respectful, and I admired their life, by the way. I admired their character, their integrity, their discipline. I admired it. But he really didn't want to hear because I didn't have the spirit. Couldn't understand it. A man without the spirit. John 3.16, watching NCAA basketball. In fact, it would have been Saturday, like yesterday, with the uh, four teams playing to decide who's going to the finals. I was with my, my two best friends, uh, Rookie Corker and John McCann were sitting there, and um, somebody had a banner, and it was um, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And we all sat there and were trying to figure it out. We couldn't understand it. Talk about the man without the Spirit being spiritually dead. You need the Spirit to take it, to take it from your mind, your ears, and bring it down to your heart. When you have the Spirit and you're hearing the Word of God. So you look at, look at John 14, 6. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So it's the Spirit who helps us to understand. Right? It's, not just, it's not just you and the Word. It needs to be you, the Word, and the Spirit. The Spirit, you, and the Word. Being, being Spirit-taught. Not, not preacher-taught. I could, look, I, could, I could have you here, and I could make you laugh, right? And I, I, could, I could make you feel sad, I could make you feel... But that's just... That's just it's, it, it's, not, it's not the true preaching of the Word. It's through the Spirit. When the Spirit is teaching you, He's bringing the Word of God. And it's amazing how He could be teaching and dealing with different people in completely different ways from the same Scripture verse. And that's, that's key. So they, they understood... They didn't just merely hear. Because when the Spirit of God is impressing the Word of God upon your heart, that's transformation. You leave change. You leave different than you came in. He empowers you. He enlightens you. Transforms you. Changes you. All right, number three, the pulpit. It says in, in, in Ezra, verse 4, So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they made for the purpose. I just want you to, to notice, we call, we call this thing, a, a, this is the pulpit, right? But actually, if you really understand the concept in the scriptures, this whole thing is the pulpit. It's, it's not just this, this wooden, right, this wooden, um, you know, table. It's the, the entire thing is, is the pulpit. What was the purpose of the pulpit? So that the people would see Ezra. <laughs> That's it. It wasn't that Ezra was above everyone. It wasn't that he was better than everyone. The, the purpose, this whole purpose of this thing is just so you can see me or Lou. 
okay, or any of the other preachers here in the church. That's the only thing. It's not, it's not elevation of a person. Look at me. I'm, look, I'm up here in this holy place, right? If you had a, a lady who was coming to the church, uh, sweet sister, beautiful relationship with God, her and her family, and she was involved with choirs all over northern New Jersey. I don't know if some of you remember this. On Saturday, we brought choirs, like eight choirs in. And they all, they all sang here. And it was a beautiful day. I mean, it's just these choirs from Patterson and Passaic and, you know, different parts of, of here in Bergen County. And it was a beautiful, beautiful worship time. But then what she did was she had come from a church. I'm telling you something. It's almost pastor worship and so they did a dinner how many of you were here were here for that dinner some of you yeah some of you they did a dinner and so they set up all the tables and um for all of you people (laughs) you got to eat on a paper plate with a plastic fork and spoon and uh, a little solo cup but the pastors and their wives, they set this, this banquet table up in front of the room. By the way, I had no idea this was going on. And they put the finest china, silverware, fancy goblet cups. And we kind of got the best of the food. I couldn't sit. I looked at my wife and said, I can't do this. Well, it's, it's not because I'm so wonderfully humble. Because I can tell you, I have a big ego. Okay, I'm very aware of my ego. I'm also very aware of, of, of I'm extremely confident in things, sometimes to my detriment. But it wasn't it wasn't um, because I was so I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. What 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 makes us different than you? Nothing, nothing. There are people sitting here right now. I'll tell you this. I truly believe who are far more spiritual than I am. There are people sitting here right now who have a much deeper relationship with Jesus that I have. And um, I, I'm not ashamed to, to, to say that. I'm doing what God... I'm, I'm being frank in Jesus, trying to be faithful with the gifts He's given me. And it's as though He's given me a preaching, teaching gift, pastoring gift. And that's where my folks... There are people who are far more spiritual, though, in this, in this building right now than I am. And I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that. When I'm with them, right? John the Baptist said, a, a man can only have what God has given them. I would try to be faithful with what God has given me. But we, we are not to be, we are not to be elevated. See, pastor worship is huge in the church today. People talk about, oh, you know, the Catholics, they got the Pope and the Cardinals. Well, come on, the, with the, the, the Protestants and Evangelicals and Charismatic, they have their own Popes. Mega church pastors are Popes. And you look at some of the things that happen when they, when they get caught in sin, how they refuse to repent and humble themselves. But the platform was just, so you can see me. So you have no problem seeing me here. But some of the people in the back, Frank, it's helping you this morning, right? Yeah. Because if I was, and look, I'm, I'm pretty tall. Right, when Pastor Lou is preaching, no, it's like, you know. <laughs> or Sam, right, Sam, it's like, we don't even know where he is. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> All right, number four. And the people responded. 
Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So you see, you see here, there's, there's really there's a physiology of what's going on in worship with what they're doing. So watch, watch this. They stood up. Why do we stand in worship? And by the way, if you can't, we don't begrudge you that you sit down. Nellie, it's okay to sit. Geez, after I had my, my hip done, man, I needed to sit on, a, on some, sat on that big chair in the corner there. And uh, if you have a hip issue or knee injury, you can go and sit in that chair. But, um, we, we stand because it's an act of reverence. We stand for the reading of the Word. We stand in, 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 in praise and worship because we, we show reverence for the Word of God and reverence for God. It's, it's that simple. People have asked me, why do you have people stand for the reading of the Word? That's why. That's why. We just didn't, didn't decide to make it up. And then the people said, Amen and Amen. You know what Amen means? And it's okay to say an Amen in the church. You can say amen. amen. Okay, good. That was good. Huh? That was... Let's try it on this side. Ready? Amen. Amen. All right. What does it mean? Let it be. It's kind of the concept. It's unchangeable. It's fixed. Um, I agree. I agree. Make sure that you're, you're in a place of agreement. Make sure it's the word of God. Everybody in this place is going to go to hell. And somebody says, Amen! <laughs> that's, that's, I, I heard somebody do that one time. Well, it wasn't quite in that context, but I was preaching about something that was not something you want to say Amen to. But the person just would say, Amen, Amen. You know, going into church, you have the deacon, right? The deacon in front of the church, and he's a little senile. He just amens everything. Right? He's, amen, Amen, Amen. But you, it, it's, I, I agree. And then the people lifted up their hands. So you see people here, I'd like to lift my hands. To them. It took me a while to kind of get there, you know, maybe a kind of conservative, growing up in a conservative um, family. I was raised as a young kid in the Catholic Church. God forbid, you know, you lift up your hands. And um, I went to a, a, it was a revival out in Long Island, and um, I'm standing up in the, uh, I'm up in the rafters there with some brothers, and all of a sudden, I don't know, something was happening to my arms. They were just starting to go. I was like... And then this arm started to go up, and I grabbed it and pulled it down. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, the Spirit just kind of got my arms up and just lifted them. Why, why do we lift our arms up to the Lord? Reverence. I just want to say, if somebody came and put a gun in your chest, what do you do? It's, a, it's, it's an act of surrender. That's one of the... It, 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 it really, you can see, I surrender. I don't, let me tell you something. I don't surrender to anybody, but I surrender to one. I surrender to one. And um, it also, though, is little kid comes up. I see some little, little kids. My, my son, you know, my, my grandson, they come running up to me. What do they do? They do this. Right? I, I, I want you. I, I want more of you. I want to... That's... that's why we lift up our hands. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. And then it says, and they bowed their heads 
and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. And that, that is humility, that is reverence, that's humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord. And, and of course, he always, he always lifts you up. But those are all, those are all just their responses. When your heart is essentially in conjunction with your hands, or with your knees, or with your head, right, with your mouth, it's a beautiful thing. Because you can be just going through the motions and you can do this and you can clap your hands and you can be doing all kinds of things and your heart could be a million miles away from God. Because that, that ha- Have you ever come into church and you're clapping your hands, you're even singing the song, you don't even know what you're doing. We can be so focused on other things. But when the heart is connecting with the body and you have the, the heart and the physiology, of worship, it's a beautiful thing to worship God that way. But that is, that, that is a response. That is a response. People who are alive to the Lord, you will see them responding physically. Not everybody the same. Some of you are a little bit more... I mean, I mean, you boogie when you worship the Lord. You just like... <laughs> we love watching you worship the Lord. My wife and I on Wednesday night. And some of you are more stiff. Right? You're like... And some of you, if you clapped your hands to raise your hands, hell will freeze over. <laughs> but it's a response. It's a response. All right, number five. They explained. So if you, if you look here, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 7 through 8, help me with these words, these names. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sharibia, Jamin, Akub. Shabbatai, Hodijai, uh, Massey, Kalita, Azaria, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites. I know I n- never asked you to clap for me, but <laughs> could I just. <laughs> and if there's a Hebrew scholar here right now, he's going, man, he blew like eight of them. <laughs> But no, they helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place, so they read distinctively from the book and the law, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So what you have here is Ezra is reading the word, and then these scribes, these teachers, these prophets are helping people to understand it, and they're explaining it to them. So it's, it's, it's a combination of what you see here, the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And this is, this is a group effort that they're, that they're doing. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus was, you know, doing his ministry in Matthew 4, 23, and you see this repeated, you know, over and over again, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. He, he preached. What's, what's the Greek word for preaching? Caruso. Remember Caruso, the great tenor? Right? I'm a great tenor, too. My wife says 10 or 15 miles away from her when I sing. <laughs> now, that was like really. But you, you proclaim. It's the preaching is the proclaiming of the word of God. But teaching is the explaining of the word of God. I have sometimes, you know, people, people in the church say, well, I'm just a preacher. Well, if you're going to preach, you need to explain. You need to teach. And you really, you really can't teach effectively unless you're preaching. 
So you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, proclaim it. And be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Teach the word. So you're, you're proclaiming the word of God. But if, if you say, if you stood before me and say, okay, I'm going to proclaim to you. Jesus is Lord. But what does that mean? What are the implications? What do we need to do with you know that 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 great proclamation <clears throat> proclamation that Jesus is Lord? You say Jesus is the Savior. But what does that mean to you? What do you do with that? You know you need you need to receive it. You need to take Him into your heart. You need to put your faith in Him that He died for you on the cross, was raised from the dead, and is alive today. But that's the explanation. So you need to it, it needs to be proclaimed. And explained. I've sat in churches where the preacher just preached. And I walked out of there and said, what the heck was he talking about? Because there was no explanation. You see, some churches, they, they take a verse and they just repeat it. They repeat it. They repeat it over and over and over again. They're yelling, scream, and run across the, the, the platform. But you leave there and you're like, well, 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 you know, what was that all about? So the, the proclaiming and the explaining of the Word of God. Now... If we're doing a good job with that, okay, we're, we're proclaiming and explaining the Word of God. You've got a responsibility. And it, it tells us in Acts chapter 17, 10 through 11, right? You need to be a Berean. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more, far more minded or fair minded than those in Thessalonica. Watch what they did, the Bereans, in that they received the word with all readiness. They, they received it with readiness. They were ready to receive the word of God. And then they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They tested everything Paul said. And you hear this from me over and over again because it's a key principle here in our church. You need to test. You see, the, the word of God is a plumb line. You know what a plumb line Len, You know what a plumb line is? Right? Plumbline tells you if the wall is straight or the wall is crooked. Well, was the message straight today or crooked? Was the word that has been preached to you and taught to you today, was it straight or is it crooked? Whereas if it's crooked, you need to confront us concerning the word of God. You need to confront me. So if I've been teaching something today that is false, something that is deceptive, something that is not biblical, that's why you, I think good question to ask yourself, where is that in the Bible? So I've been in churches where I see things going on, I say, where is that in the Bible? Where is that? I, I, I have come to know this book pretty good. Where is that in the Bible? I can't find it. Because I believe if it's not in the Bible, we shouldn't be doing it, and we shouldn't be preaching it. All right, just two more and we're done. Okay, they wept. So it says in verse 9, For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. You ever weep when you're hearing the word of God? Or studying the word of God? Or meditating on the word of God. Why, why did they weep? I'll give you a couple of things here. Spiritual tears arise from humility. When you are humbled in the presence of God, and I'll tell you something, I've shed tears. 
I don't cry a lot, but I'll tell you, I've shed more tears with Jesus and in the Word of God than I have in any other place at any other time. Who am I? Who am I to be doing what I am doing? Who am I that the Lord would come to me every day and commune with me? Folks, I was a bodybuilder. I was a gym owner. I had no interest. I had no interest in God. When he, when he called me, when he chose me, who am I? That's kind of a tearjerker. Spiritual tears involve heartfelt sorrow. Right? We, we get convicted. We start to really feel sorry for our sins and falling short of the glory of God. Spiritual tears basically name specific sins. I was teaching this on Wednesday night. When God convicts you, when you're in a time, and I have a time of confession every day, I don't take my sins in a big black plastic bag and bring them before God and say, here God, here are my sins, forgive me. I name them one by one. I name them one by one. You know what that does? That really helps God to be able to work in your life and deliver you from those sins. Spiritual tears happen at the cross. I've wept more at the cross than I have any other place. Just, just looking at what he did for me. He took all my sins upon himself and he hung on that cross those six hours that Friday. Those nails were meant for my hands. Those nails were meant for my feet. That death, that was meant for me. And he, he was separated from the Father. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took eternal damnation upon himself. He took hell upon himself. My hell upon himself. Man, if that don't bring you to tears, you're dead. And spiritual tears, they, they lead you to leave your baggage and bondage behind. When you're really experiencing spiritual tears, you know, man, you just want to, you know, that, that crap that you're carrying, that, you know, I call it a sack of crap. You're learning all my crap, my, 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 little, my little crap terms today, but the sack of crap, you know, you just got that sack of crap and you just leave it behind and you move on. And spiritual tears lead to a new beginning. This should be a new beginning today for you. A fresh start, a clean slate. Now watch what happens with the people. They're mourning, and then they basically are corrected to rejoice. So, so it, <clears throat> it tells us in verse 10 and 12, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those, oh, you know what it is, send portions to those <clears throat> whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy, <clears throat> to the Lord, um, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. They went through their grieving process, now you know what? Leave your grieving behind. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. They walk away, the, the chidva in Hebrew, they walk away with great joy. 
You know, just think think about the, the joy of the Lord that, that comes to us, right? In Psalm, we sing this Psalm, Psalm 30, verse 5, His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, and there should be a joy that we leave here from this place with. You may have come in and you may have shed tears, but we leave here with, with joy. I mean, there's so, and there's so many things that God will do in a worship service that bring joy to people, right? The, the joy of God's Word. I rejoice at your Word as one who finds great treasure. The joy of the rhema, the, of God's Word, literally coming alive inside of you. How about the joy of being forgiven? The joy of, of, of just His embrace of love. The joy of fellowship with Him. The joy of His presence. How about, have you ever come into church where you have been beaten up in your head, right? Sometimes, sometimes the world beats us up. Right? That world out there, man, sometimes it will knock you down, right? It will knock you down and it will kick you. And you come into the church and your head is down. And he is the lifter of my head. When you came down like this, discouraged, and all of a sudden you leave like this, encouraged. So here's our, here's our application, and then we'll, we'll share communion. The, the worship team can prepare. Folks, why are we here? Why do you come here? We, we, we essentially, we come here to experience God through His Word. Singing His Word, reading His Word, meditating His Word, hearing His Word, praying His Word. We, we come ultimately to experience Him. I hope you have had a Jesus experience this morning, but that, that, that is it. Jesus is the Word of God. And we experience Him through His Word. We come to know Him through His Word. Right? We make ourselves available to Him so that He can know us through His Word. We love Him and receive His love through His Word. But that should be our goal to come in here to experience Jesus. So if you've experienced Pastor Frank today, I feel sorry for you. I know there just ain't a lot here as compared to Jesus or Lenny or Kim or, or anyone else. Did you come here to experience Jesus? Have you met Him today? Have you communed with Him? Have you fellowshiped with Him? Maybe He's asking you to do something. Maybe He's going to heal you or has already. Whatever it is. But you come to meet Jesus. That should be our goal. That should be our objective. And he wants that with you. So let me ask, I'll ask the musicians to come up and you can take your, your communion cup. And Communion today from uh, with the big matzah and the big cup, not because I'm superior to anybody here, but because I'm actually 
not superior to any of you because I cannot open those darn things. <laughs> and I was getting highly embarrassed as I would sit here and fiddle with it for 20 minutes. So, Isn't that a beautiful picture? We don't know what Jesus looked like. I know one thing, when we see him, he's sure going to look good. You can stand with me, if you like. Lord, we prepare our hearts. Lord, to receive, Lord God, the Lord's Supper. We, we want to commune with you, Lord God, in this. We want to, we want to take time, Lord God, and, and truly experience you. You said, Lord God, when we come to the table, we shouldn't, we shouldn't come, Lord God, in a, in a rude way. Lord, we should come humbly. We should come, Lord God, confessing, Lord, that we have fallen short of your glory. And we come, Lord God, by faith. For on that night, the Lord Jesus, He took the bread and He broke it. And He gave it to His disciples and He said to them, Take this, all of you, and eat this, for this is My body. He said, Do this in remembrance of Me. And Lord, in remembrance of Your body that was pierced, that was scourged, that holy body that was hung on that cross for us, we partake, Lord. And then the Lord, He took the cup and He gave it to His disciples and He said, Take this, all of you, and drink this, for this is My blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. He said, Do this in remembrance of Me. In remembrance of Your blood, Lord God, which is Your life. You poured out Your life for us, Lord God, on the cross of Calvary. And Lord God, this morning, we drink, Lord, we drink of Your life. Fill us with more of your life. Give us, Lord, more of that, that life love, that life peace, that life joy of Jesus. In remembrance of you, Lord God, we drink. The body of Christ, as we finish in worship, the altars are open if you'd like to come forward, pray, seeking the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Yes, the altars are open for you. If you'd like to come here and pray alone or with somebody, please take advantage of this time. What a great word from the Word of God today. I hope you're taking notes. If you weren't, go watch it again and take notes. If you apply one of these principles to your life, you'll be tremendously blessed.
Lord is my strength and my song. God bless you all. Bring you home safely today. May God bless you, your marriages, your children, the work of your hands. We give you health and blessings. There's some babies that are going to be born in the church the next couple of uh, days. May He bless those babies coming into the world. And may He go with you all and be with you all in Jesus' name. Amen.